0: Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another podcast with The Knockdown. Thanks, as always, for listening. I do appreciate your loyalty. I'm delighted to be joined this time around by Steve Flesh. You know him for his trenchant analysis on the Golf Channel, but uh, back in the mid-aughts, he had a great run there. He won four times in four years on the PGA Tour, a couple of top six finishes at the Masters, and, of course, now he's turned 50 uh, in May of, of this year, and he's haunting the Champions Tour. So, it's a pleasure to be joined by the second best left-handed golfer on the planet. We can call you that, right, Steve?
1: Well, that's generous, but I'll take it. <laughs> I
0: don't know about that, but I'll take it. Cody Gribble might might disagree. Yeah. Is there, like, a camaraderie amongst you guys? Do you...
1: Um. It's funny because as many years as I played on tour, like Phil and I always would check out what's in each other's bags and whatnot. But, you know, we always just think of each other as just fellow competitors. You know, it's it's not like we're, other than looking at equipment and maybe chatting about what company's making this left-handed or not, there's not a whole lot of just lefties hanging out. It's 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 a generational thing, too, though. You know, when I was on tour, there weren't a ton. You know, so Mike Weir and I were kind of the only ones. Phil was obviously a you know, a tier player ahead of us,
0: you know, and um not really though. I wish yeah. I could say there was. I mean the one thing about it that is interesting is Phil's whole theory about Augusta and how it suits a lefty and you had a couple of great runs there, o nine I mean, do you think there's anything to that? You know, the way you know you, you can play a little butter cut around all those dog legs and the way the, the 12th green is angled, it suits your misses better. I mean, is, is Phil right or is that just classic Phil talking out of his ass? I, Phil's got a lot of that BS that he throws out there, but at
1: Augusta, I 100% agree with him. I mean, look, like Tiger, uh, Bubba, and Mike Weir, lefties have all played well there. I had a few good finishes there. Certain, I think the hardest tee shots there are the ones that do favor the lefty. 10, I think, is a really hard tee shot. Fourteen's a hard tee shot. Um, I think 17 is kind of an awkward tee shot. Nine's an awkward tee shot. I know I'm jumping around the course, yeah. but it those holes are easier for a lefty to play a cut on, yeah. and get the ball down the fairway. And a cut's easier control than a draw. And definitely number 12. I mean, I never ever feared 12. Although the best my opportunity to have my best finish there when I was a shot back at Trevor Immelman in 08, I hit it in the water on 12. <laughs> but that's not a shot I ever fear because if we pull it. We cover the water on the right. Even to the right pin, it wasn't a big deal, but wind got me, whatever. But um, <laughs> I do agree, Augusta, especially with the modern ball and modern equipment, favors lefties more because you can fade the ball and control it better around the hard tee shots on Augusta.
0: We found the one thing that Phil says it holds up.
1: Well, he says a lot of stuff that's true, but nobody really
0: de- delves in <laughs> that deep to really verify it. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So when you think about that that run you had at Augusta, I mean you had a nice career. You won four times. You you cracked, you know, the top 25 in the world at one moment. So you were a very legit player. But you probably know you're not going to have a million opportunities to win the Masters. And I mean does that does that still haunt you that round let, not getting it in the barn there? Um. Well it was I mean in 08 when I was just one back that was
1: I mean those that didn't end up being my highest finish in in I think 9 and 10 I finished higher in the tournament in the end cuz I just kind of sneak back door yeah. top 10s or whatever but um you know it doesn't it doesn't really haunt me as much as I wish once I made the double I would have changed I wouldn't have gone so aggressive the rest of the 9 I mean basically when I made the double on 12 I made a couple more bogeys on that back 9 just kind of playing silly just thinking I just got to floor it now, you know, take so many chances. And it was such a tough day. All, I mean, if I just parred in, I w- I wasn't going to ma- I wasn't gonna win the golf tournament, but I would have finished higher. But, you know, I bogeyed, I bogeyed 15 going for the green from just a crazy place thinking I needed to make birdie. And to win the championship, yeah, that's probably how I had to play it. But looking back, you know, I was like, that's just silly, some of the mistakes I made. I should have, I think, a final round, final 940 or 41. But, um you know you're right. You don't get many chances to win Augusta, but of all the majors I think I could have won, that was the one because I think I was the most comfortable there. Even I putted great there, even as tough as those greens were. I just saw the saw the breaks, putted great, hit it great. It was just it was easily the best major I think I would have had a chance of
0: winning. People say, oh, he blew up on the back nine, the pressure got to him. D- does that perception bother you? And it's really, you made one bad swing, and then it was more of an errors strategy and strategy and approach than anything else. I mean, that, that, that I think fans, even reporters, go to that right away. They oh, couldn't handle the pressure. But there's a lot more to it than that, right? Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was nervous, um,
1: but I really wasn't nervous. Um, until the second shot on eleven, because for a lefty that 's the one shot i don 't like the second shot on eleven i think it's I think the hole 's too long now i think I th- think it should be thirty yards shorter where guys will at least try and knock it. I mean most of the time guys aren 't even trying to knock it on the green on eleven right. it 's a mistake if they hit it close, right. so the second shot on eleven was tough. I made par, but I really that was the only time I was nervous. The rest of the time I was like I had this strange feeling like this might be my last chance. You know, I better I better take chances. And looking back, I was like, what were you thinking? You know, <laughs> so I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous, but my nerves weren't what got me. I think what got me was tr- thinking of an outcome more wh- than, hey, what what's the task at hand right now? I got ahead of myself is, is basically the easy way to define it. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's golf. It's hard not to be result-oriented and, and think about what could be. But I think that was, I was more of a victim of, thinking about what it'd be like to maybe win, and I forgot that I had to play the last,
0: you know, six holes. It doesn't help that I think one of the coolest walks in golf is from 11 green to 12 tee. The whole hillside is, you know, covered with fans. You probably got a standing ovation just because you had a chance. You're a southern boy. like Yeah. It, I would. I think in all of golf that that's got to be one of the great little experiences as a player. I think the
1: the whole experience that week is is unbelievable. I think, you know, it's it's the one major that doesn't travel, and you can go out there and play practice rounds on you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you know see where Tiger hit that chip on sixteen, see where Jack you know hit that you know hit the same shot to the same hole location on sixteen back left. I mean, it's you can literally hit the same shots that all these guys you've seen years before to, you know hit and and that's why I think Augusta has that whole aura about it of the history and what makes it I think you know for me as an american the greatest major to win but um I don't know. I just think it's a special place. The whole time you walk around there, you feel like you're walking on eggshells. Even though you're a competitor playing inside the ropes, you're playing the Masters, you feel like you're being watched. You are. Oh, I know you are. But it's like we're happy to have you here with us, young man and Mr. (laughs) Flesh. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, am I going to get booted out tomorrow? And, you know, even your lockers, your name's not on your locker. You're using a locker of a couple other members, and you're sharing it with another player. So... We're fortunate to be there, and 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 you feel that way when while you're playing the event. But man, what it's a great, great
0: championship. Have you heard of any players who ran afoul of the the club etiquette and got a little talking to? You
1: know, honestly, I think everybody like is on their P's and Q's that week. I mean, yeah, you know, a couple agents or caddies get caught with cell phones, and, and uh, I can't remember who the caddy was, but he got basically booted out booted out because he had his cell phone, and, you know, <laughs> and his player had to beg to have his caddy back in, you know, just little things like that. But in the other week, it's not an issue, but Augusta, there's special rules you got to play
0: by. Yeah, interesting. So you might be the only guy on tour where I follow – or in golf, I follow. I follow you and your son. Oh gosh, and I know. It seems like if you make a Venn diagram of your interests, the only overlap is bitching about Kentucky basketball. Oh, geez. you guys are just bitter fans. Yeah, um, I think it's our expectations
1: are so high. Um, um, well, the Cincinnati Bengals too. I'm not a big Andy Dalton fan either, but <laughs> Who is? Uh, yeah, um, that's true. Um, no, it's 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 kind of like Duke. We're so spoiled with good basketball that sometimes the strategy of who they bring in and who they're playing i mean you know it's it's our passion but my son i I mean the funny thing is about him i'll see a tweet and i'll just text him and say delete all <laughs> i say is delete because i'm like you know hey dude you, you know you're kind of stepping on my t- these guys toes or hey you know i have an affiliation with like this golf company or something i'm you know dude you think about it before you tweet it but i get a little worked up sometimes no doubt but that's, I think that's the fun of it. I mean, it's, you know, I know I post some stuff I probably shouldn't, but at the same time, like, it's my opinion. If you don't, if you don't want to listen to it, you know, you don't have to follow me, but I, I, I don't mind a good back and forth because that's, you know, that's what Twitter is. You got your opinion. Hey, I feel this way. You might feel this way, but at the end of the day, we can agree to disagree.
0: So it's a very civilized view. Not everyone on Twitter shares that.
1: Well, um, it's, it go. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of going negative at times. I mean, it, Twitter gets really negative. I try and fluff it up sometimes with some retweets and whatnot, but um, I go negative. But it's just I think most fans kind of do sometimes. You know, it's it's the passion, and and
0: if your team's struggling, you get a little fired up. So, what percent of the time that you tell you say delete does he actually follow suit on that? Hundred yeah, percent. Solid. hundred percent. Yeah,
1: he's. Well, I mean, he's a freshman in college now. He's got his own his own you know thoughts and opinions, but. Um some of it I'm just like, you know, that's a little too harsh, but
0: it, I'm not saying it isn't true. It just might be a little too harsh, but uh he's he's great about it. So there's nothing else in parenting where you can get hundred percent compliance. I mean that's incredible.
1: Well, he's he's certainly not hundred percent listening to my golf advice. You know, yeah. I have I usually have to send him to somebody else to verify what I've told him <laughs> hundreds of times. So what
0: so do you remember the first time he beat you on a golf course? Um you know, honestly, I hate to say it, but he hasn't beaten me yet. You're kidding? No, no, no. he's still working oh, at poor it. bastard. I know,
1: I know. And then that day will be dark. I mean, it's it's <laughs> um, a couple of times I've had some late rallies to to you know stay ahead of him, but he hasn't beaten me yet. Which I know it gets under his skin, but it's going to happen. He's he works too hard
0: at it not for it to happen soon. So when <sighs> when if it's tight coming down the last few holes, is, does it get real quiet and all? You know, or, or are you needling him, or how, what's the vibe like? I'm
1: not needling him because he's a serious kid, yeah. and he kn- he knows where he stands. And I don't want I don't want gamesmanship to win. You know, I don't <laughs> want gamesmanship to beat him. Yeah, but I know exactly where I stand too. I'm not going to make it easy for him. He's going to have to earn it.
0: So is there? I mean, you have like a, an 18th hole putt to break his heart and stuff, is that kind of thing. Let me out? say,
1: let me say this: I will grind to make it. If I don't make it, at least I know that yeah. I didn't. You know, just what say i don't want to give it to him you know but uh he'll earn it he's he's gaining quickly but
0: i'm not going to give it to him easy that's awesome i was talking to olin brown of course his son's on the canadian tour and there's a lot of father and sons in in golf history and even present day so what kind of suffering do you do do together is there a little kinship between you and the other dads out there whose sons are, are making a go of it it's you know the I think the consensus is it's really hard to teach your own kid
1: to play because the success that we've had, and believe me, we've made almost every mistake you could make and we've learned from them. But a lot of times when your, your son or daughter's trying to play and you're trying to help them, you're trying to at least help keep them from making the same mistakes because you already know why it's happening. But in golf you got to learn you you got to feel the pain of, Hey, that was a dumb play or, you know, I hit that bad shot. What was I thinking? The strategy involved there, you can prevent it. And when I caddy for him, I mean, you know, we have a tough time when I caddy for him because I'm kind of doing that and he kind of doesn't agree. So we kind of butt heads a little bit, but, but I think all, all the other, you know, parents are like, it's hard to teach your own kid because we kind of know, and the kids sometimes need to learn on their own. Why, you know, why you don't do this or do that. And, Sometimes that causes a little bit of tension. How, how stressful is it to watch him play? I hate it. I don't know how my parents did. I've told my parents I don't know how they watched me for all these years playing golf because it drives me nuts because you can see the crash coming. And you get <laughs> you can't do anything. You know, you just hope they handle it. But, you know, I remember when he was playing a junior tournament, you know, he's he's got a club out that he's going to hit into this bunker short of the green, and then it's a straight uphill bunker shot with then nothing but garbage over the green where he's going to make, you know, double or triple. It's already played out in your mind. Already see it, and it's exactly what happened. He hit it into this bunker. It was a kind of a – it was on a uh, not-so-great golf course that the bunkers were kind of dirt. Blades it over, makes triple, you know, and, and he's, fire, he's fiery on the course like me, and I'm like, you know, then it's another hole or two to recover from the emotions running hot, but – you can't do anything because now you can't talk to the kids when they play. You know, you got to let them do it on their own, which is how it should be. But it's hard because it's hard to bite your lips sometimes. But you know, they'll learn. They're smart. Kids are smarter nowadays, I think, than <laughs> I was growing up.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So you uh, you dabble in TV. I'm curious. Uh, do you consider yourself? Are you media? Are you a player? Where are you in that continuum? Um. The last four or five years,
1: I'd say I was more media part-time player, but now I'm back to just gonna. I'm gonna play pretty much full-time. Um, uh, I moved over to Fox Sports from Golf Channel three years ago. Did all the U.S. Opens, um, and uh, I had fun doing it. I had fun working at the Golf Channel too, but I think the the a lot of people that realize how much they miss the game when they do. They you you realize how much you miss playing and being competitive when you're doing television. Because you're seeing so much golf play, and you, but it does help you realize that everybody hits bad shots, and you realize I should have shouldn't have been so hard on myself when I was out there playing because i my expectations are never to miss a shot. But when you do it from the media standpoint and television, you realize, man, guys hit a lot of bad shots. But you got to hang in there and and just kind of work through it. But I missed it a lot. It made me work hard, and and I really looked forward to turning 50 and playing on the Champions Tour, and and. I kind of hit the ground running. My last, you know, I've played 12 events now and turned 50 in May, and I've had a ball doing it. But one thing that doesn't go away is the competitive nature, you know, that's in you. And, and I still get worked up, still get ticked off at myself out there. But it's more relaxed, and and, uh, and it's more fun, I think, playing on this tour than it was. It's, the PGA Tour is so cutthroat anymore. In my last three or four years, I really didn't enjoy it because of that. I mean, granted, I was my... My skills weren't as great as they were early on in my career, but, you know, playing to make cuts on the, on the PGA tour is zero fun because, you know, I didn't have the drive to practice and, you know, work out and do what all these kids are doing now, going to the gym. And I just wanted to play a practice round, go eat, go eat dinner, take a nap and play the next day. And that's, you can't compete like that on the PGA tour anymore. Those kids are good and they work hard and, and out here, I'm not saying you you don't have to work at it, but you still have to work at it. But you're playing with the you know core group of guys who are the same age as you, so yeah. um, it's just more fun.
0: Yeah. When you were doing TV, was it satisfying to criticize other players?
1: Well, I was careful about it because I knew I had to see them, <laughs> um, but. You know, I think the thing that bothered me is when you did say something a little pointed toward a shot a guy hit or whatever, when they would come up to you and say, man, I can't believe you 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 know threw me under the bus there. And I'm like, well, would you agree that that shot with a pitching wedge that you hit 30 feet was a good shot? You know, I'm like, "You did you hand the club back to your caddy and say, yeah, I, that was good. I guarantee you did. You know, I'm like, sometimes in honesty, even though it's correct, is hard to accept by, you know, some players, but... um, you know, and then we have a nice discussion. I'm like, I guarantee you weren't happy with that shot. I'm not yeah. being hard on you. I'm just, it's, you know, I'm not trying to be Johnny Miller here either. Yeah. But, you know, if Johnny Miller says, you know, that wasn't a very good shot, you know, 99% of the time he's correct. Yes. You know, people might not like his delivery, but I'm telling you, the guy is not off. You know, he knows golf, same with Nick Faldo and and, and Paul Azinger. Those guys know golf. And if they say it wasn't a good shot, you know, I don't know. I don't ever dispute it because I know they're correct. So that's, I respect those guys more who don't sugarcoat and fluff everything and make everything lollipops and gumdrops. You know, not everybody's hit a great, you know, not every shot is great. And guys screw up. And and it's okay for the people watching TV to know that, hey, that wasn't a great shot, especially by tour standards. So, you know, that's kind of why I wasn't super critical. I I really tried not to be. I tried to just kind of. Paint a picture when I did the U.S. Opens, like, hey, what guys are facing more, and not be so critical of shots. Just tell them maybe their thought process. Because when you start criticizing players, unless you're totally out of the game and you're not playing anymore, you got to face those guys on the driving range, and you know, they're your peers, you know. And and you know, I think if the if the tables were turned, they would, you know, and they had to criticize one of my shots. Say, you know, I'd want them to be honest because I think that's what TV needs. They don't need everything sugar-coated. coated Right.
0: I don't know if you follow this whole thing, but I wrote this column for Golf Magazine that Sean McKeel is upset about, and mm, I did see yeah. that. Yeah, and what the thing that he took away from it the most, I believe, if I can speak for him, is that I told him I'm, I'm not. It's not a personal attack. I'm just I'm just critiquing your record. You know, he, he takes it so personally, right? And I understand it's his life's work, but you know, it, we're just talking about golf here. We're not talking about anything else. And, yeah. But, but it's like when you criticize someone's performance, it, it, it's so intensely personal for them. And they can't always separate. There's, it's, it's. We're just talking about golf here, guys. You know. I understood both your perspective
1: and Sean's. Sean's a friend of mine, and I I see where he gets worked up, especially that. I mean, I know that there's other guys that you know, if their only victory's a major, they feel like after that everything they're doing is trying to justify winning that major. If they've never won a tour event, and I'm I'm sure, believe me, the article that you wrote was not the first time he's read anything like that. It just kind of struck a nerve, yeah. but. um, I get it, and his—I mean, when you look at records of guys who won majors, his just happened to pop out that there wasn't another victory. So I got both both perspectives both perspectives of it, but at the same time, man, we're we are very fragile when it comes to our games, you know, and and we take stuff personally. And some guys will speak up, some guys won't. I actually give Sean credit for talking to you about it because yeah, sure. a lot of guys might just say that Alan guy I don't like him anymore I'm never going to speak to him if I see him I'm not going to say anything I give him credit for saying something to you and you guys having a discussion and working it out because I think he understands where you're coming and you understand where he's coming
0: from so you both probably learned a little something going forward oh no question yeah that was interesting so the The vibe out here, a lot of people think it's it's an exhibition circuit and there's maybe a dozen guys who are trying hard. No one else is just goofing off and, and fishing and enjoying, a, you know, second honeymoons or whatever it may be. Were you surprised at, at the intensity of, of the competition when you came out on this tour?
1: Um, no, I'll... I'll... Because Paul Goidos and Kevin Sutherland are my two of my best buddies, and I talked to them a lot for two or three years before I got out here, so I was really prepared. They told me, oh, it's a lot of golf, and I'm like, well, what do you mean it's a lot of golf? And they were like, well, practice around on Tuesday if you haven't seen the course, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, and then, our, or Wednesday, Thursday are pro-ams, and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, six days of golf, and I'm like, ah, oh, no, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Well, after six weeks in a row now of playing, I'm exhausted. So I realize it's a lot of golf, but I knew it was competitive because I see the scores the guys are shooting on, t- on you know, for two or three years. I, was watch- I wasn't I was watching much PGA Tour golf at all. I was watching Champions Tour golf. And I'm like, man, these guys are shooting 18 under for three rounds. You know, I don't care if you're playing a muni or where you're playing. You still got to be 18 under par for 54 holes. That's pretty damn good. And, uh, you know, having played now 12 events, I get where the 18 unders coming from. Uh, guys are still great. Guys still work their tails off. Ball still goes a mile. Um, guys work, you know, guys are guys out here are good. I don't care what, you know, it, just because they're older doesn't mean they're not good. But the way that the courses are set up, they're set up to be entertaining. You know, they're not – the pins aren't three from the edges like they are on the PGA Tour. For four days, the pins aren't three from the edges. The pins are friendlier. Par fives are reachable. Um, you know, we don't play many par threes over 200 yards. So it's set up for scoring because if, you know, let's face it, you don't want to watch a bunch of old guys shooting even par for a round of golf. <laughs> I mean, it's not that exciting. It's more fun when you're coming down the stretch on Sunday and you got three or four guys in the mix, and the last holes of par five, that can be eagled. You know, 16, 17 are pretty short holes, guys. There, there's a lot of uh, volatility at the top of the leaderboard every week, and I think that's more fun to, you know, I didn't expect it to be like that. I just thought guys were just shooting low, but – the way i see how the setups are it's they're set up for a lot of a lot of birdies and and eagles too and that's that's fine it's not it's not a excuse me it's not a US open every week out here and uh you know did i wish maybe some weeks were more like that yes because you know some guys don't get to hit driver a lot out here not that the courses are short but just some of the designs of the courses it's a lot of forced layups off the tees and short iron so you have you know, you have some weeks where you hit, you know, eight, nine, ten wedges around. When you are hitting that many wedges around, there is going to be some birdies made. And, and uh, notwithstanding, I am loving playing it. It is fun to actually, you know, shoot sixty fours and fives again <laughs> and and feel yeah. good about it because the last few years on tour, I mean, breaking seventy was an issue when you are playing seventy five,
0: seventy six hundred yard courses. Yeah. So w- when you are like mid to late forties, you start saying, okay well, we're going to hold off on getting the beach house. Give me a couple of years on the senior tour and then we'll, we'll upgrade, uh, you know, the cars. And it's like, does it really become part of your financial model? This, uh, this expectation going to come out here and succeed?
1: Um, I don't know if I looked at it from that perspective. I looked at it that, you know, the last few years have been kind of thin, you know, I'm sure <laughs> tru- I'm playing to just make cuts. Luckily for me, I did the TV work, which was nice, but, um, um it was nice to finally get a paycheck rolling in you know <laughs> weekly yeah. guaranteed that the no cuts is great uh, yeah. you know um, um just psychologically right psychologically because you know now with three rounds from the first tee on friday it's a sprint there's no pacing yourself making sure you make the cut go i mean it's a sprint now if you don't shoot four or five six under the first round you're not going to win the golf tournament you know because there's too many guys in front of you. It's not that you can't shoot 62, 63, but there's too many guys already in front of you. So, um, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was looking forward. You know, hey, if I have, if I play five or six good years on this tour, make great money, I shouldn't have anything to worry about. You know, we, we just had, we have a home in Orlando that, um, where my wife's from, and we're deciding whether to sell it, not sell it. You know, we do we want to go on a coast, you know, but... Now we're wondering if we want to, with all these damn hurricanes, we don't know if we want to stay in Florida. So
0: maybe
1: um, hey, we need to come to California. It's awfully nice yeah, out here. We'll take you. Yeah, it's great <laughs> out
0: here. Do you wish that you could bottle up this aggressive mentality and then go out and play some, some p j Tour events with that same carefree, you know, no consequences and just attacking mentality? Um
1: yeah, because I never played that way my whole career. I played conservative golf, and it came back to, you know, it kept me from winning a few events. You know, I kind of was like, I played not to make a mistake sometimes instead of just saying, you know what, if I make a bogey be an aggressive, big deal, and I actually still fight that out here. I don't. I find myself not playing aggressively enough uh, at times because that's it's not my nature to just, you know, fire at every flag and hit driver on every hole, and not that you have to play that way, but, you know, some holes out here, you gotta just let it go because you're playing with Colin Montgomery and and Scott McCarron, those guys, they're they're letting it go. And believe me, there's a big difference out here having a wedge in versus playing conservatively conservatively and having an eight iron. And I still fight that. So um I can't say that if I had that mentality on the PGA tour, I would have had as good a success as, as I had, because early on in my career on the PGA tour. It wasn't that, I hate to say it, it wasn't that hard to make cuts. The tour wasn't as deep. So I made, you know, all these cuts in the early 2000s, just nice checks rolling in, a lot of top tens, which was great, gave me a lot of security, kind of, you know, gave me my financial stability. But I think if I would have played out of my comfort zone, you know, like a Mark Kalkavecchia did or, you know, those guys, I'm not so sure I would have had the success I've had. So to say I, to go back and do it differently, I don't think I would. Uh, I think maybe some of the weeks where I was really in contention, I should have taken a few more chances yeah. instead of playing it so close to the vest.
0: Some interesting, um, conversations that I saw mostly on Twitter, but also in real life about, it was touched off by this news at, at Shinnecock, they, they were going to play it really wide for the U S open and have lots of different angles and avenues of attack. And they realized that's just not going to work after Aaron Hills and they're going to make it narrow again. Um, I think I think what Zach Blair was saying, well, angles don't matter for tour players. They're so good that if you give them a short club, they can overcome a bad angle because they'll just they'll just plant it next to the flag. It doesn't even matter. I mean, is that do you agree with that? That it doesn't really positioning on the gol- golf hole is not that important anymore because you can you, you have such control of your ball. Um, I don't know how many U.S.
1: Opens Zach's played. and I love Zach. He's 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 into the golf design aspect, but. Um, I, I have played Shinnecock in U.S. Open the year. Retief Goosen won. I think maybe that was four or something yeah, like oh that. four, yeah. Um, and we played it with – I don't think they were super narrow fairways, but they weren't as wide as they were planning on playing them. And as a matter of fact, one of my colleagues at Fox told me um, that Shinnecock is now pl- bringing those fairways back in. Exactly. Um, so I was at Aaron Hills this year um, for on the ground for Fox doing the coverage – um, and I couldn't believe how wide it was. Um, granted, the course was ninety eight hundred yards or whatever, to seventy eight hundred yards long. But obviously, that's not a de- length's not a de- deterrent to the guys anymore because it goes so far. But Shinnecock's of course angles certainly matter, but that doesn't mean you have to have fifty yard wide fairways. If you have a thirty yard wide fairway, there's still an advantage being down the right side versus the left side. And Shinnecock's if you just give guys more width, they're just going to bomb it farther up there, you know. And, and part of the beauty of Shinnecock is you have to hit every club in your bag, so you can't give the modern tour player all that room to hit the driver. Because guys now would rather hit driver versus two iron off the tee; they hit it just as straight. Right. So, I mean, it's more forgiving. It's, it's a it's, bigger face. It's, it it, it is, and it the ball it won't curve offline as much as it used to. So I'm glad they're narrowing up Shinnecock back to how it's supposed to be played and. You know, U.S. Open greens are hard as a rock. And when I played in 04, the greens with the wind combined with the breeze at Shinnecock, yeah. you, it was hard to keep it on the 11th green at par 3, which was an 8-iron. Yeah, that was nuts. You know, so um, you can't use – I don't care where you are. If you drive it in the rough, it's still harder to get the ball close to the hole with, on firm greens. And, yeah, most, most weeks on tour, greens aren't firm enough where it really matters when you bombing it way up there. But U.S. Opens, it does matter. So I do disagree with
0: Zach on that. In, okay. On that, but interesting, yeah. Um, so now that you're you're no longer a company man, could, how do you think Fox did with it, its U.S. Open coverage?
1: Well, I still am a company man. I worked this year, <laughs> but um, I, you know, the only thing I'll say is I think unfairly, um, like our first year at Chambers Bay, we got hammered for like the camera work and. And how they couldn't see the ball. The cameraman couldn't see the ball, you know, didn't follow the balls. And, you know, they're trickling off the greens. And God knows where they're running to. And, and you know, people, a lot of people don't understand they're all union guys. It's the same guys who did the John Deere Classic, you know, in the middle of July or or, right. you know, Memphis the week before. It's the same union guys doing the cameras. So we got hammered for that. But, you know, our first event as a team was the U.S. Open. And, you know, that's like – you know, any other network saying, okay, your first event, you're going to do the Super Bowl or the Seems World like Series. Seems like bad planning to me. Well, yeah, um, looking back, it was just tough. And and when I don't, you know, you know, you know, Greg Norman, Joe Buck, Brad Fax and myself, none of us really are that familiar with each, with each other to know like, hey, I know he's getting ready to wrap up a thought. Now I can talk or whatever. I mean, we, we're still getting to know each other. So it was a tough week. Mark, Lo- Mark Loomis did a heck of a job, you know, trying to, you know, get some, you know, choreography to it all, but, um, it was tough. I mean, I, I think a lot of the criticism was justified. Um, um, I think a lot of people got unfairly criticized, but, um, I think it's, you know, we're getting better every year, but, you know, my, my point is, which I, kn- I know you've heard, is that when you're only doing five, six events a year, it's really hard to become a cohesive unit when other networks, at which people are used to watching week in and week out, do 20 weeks together, you know, and they've right. known each other for 10 years. So I love the technology that we threw at them with the parallel pro tracer and all that stuff. I mean, that's Fox's kind of, you know, baby, all the all the technology. But I think some of the commentary was unjustly criticized. But that's because, I you know, I had pride in it. But yeah. – um, it's not easy. It's not a, all I can say is TV is not as easy as people think it should be. Did you ever get nervous doing TV? I was nervous on because uh, I was in 16 Tower at Chambers Bay, and when uh, if anybody goes back and looks at the tape when when Jordan made his 25 foot curler yeah. uh, for birdie. We were trying to just let it breathe on the back nine, not, like, talk if you didn't need to talk. Just let the crowd noise and the golf kind of speak for itself. Because the crowds were fantastic. And he made this putt on those horrible greens, and uh, I just let it breathe. I just let the crowd go, and they walked off. And I'm supposed to say, now let's go to 17, or, you know, now that gets, you know, tied for the lead, Jordan Spieth going to 17. I said nothing. (laughs) It was like crickets. And and I was just like, I didn't even realize it because I was so caught up in, you know, if you got nothing better to say than silence, just shut up. And I didn't say anything. And then Mark Loomis said to me, he goes, you know, you really didn't even wrap up the hole there. You just kind of let him walk off. So, you know. Uh, you know, you learn. But I watched it again, and it's really not that noticeable. But I, I needed to, you know, put a button, you know, button up that hole and move on. And I yeah. just, I didn't say that, a word.
0: I think most viewers would agree that they'd rather have an excess of restraint than have you, you know, talking over the moment. Yeah, so we forgive you.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I just. There is, but there is something to button up, but buttoning up the hole and yeah. moving on. And sure. I, I literally just went dark because I was so caught up in not, <laughs> not saying something, I wasn't worried about saying something stupid. I just didn't want to talk over the moment, and yeah. I just decided to
0: not talk. Period. So, <laughs> hey, I let it breathe. That's all I know. <laughs> like a good bottle of red, right? Just, just let it breathe. Yeah, would you like to see another open back at Chambers? Um. I actually thought it was interesting. I would change kind of maybe some of the
1: mowing patterns where the ball doesn't run like 50 yards off the greens, you know, yeah. stuff like that. The weather was awkward. It was, it wasn't supposed to be that dry. The greens were horrendous. Um, as we all know, they've changed it. I don't mind going to a new venue. I just don't think you go to Chambers Bay, Oakmont, then Aaron Hills. I don't think you, I think you go to a lot of the state. I mean, this is me. I'm, I'm a 50-year-old guy who's played some U.S.
0: Opens. We want your opinion. That's well, why you're no, here. no, but
1: but I think you go to Oakmont, Shinnecock, you know, Olympic Club. You know, you go to some of the staples. Then you sprinkle in a Chambers Bay or an Hills, right? One. Yeah. Then you go to three or four more, you know, an Oak Hill or whatever, Pinehurst, whatever. Maybe sprinkle. You don't do two out of three years at brand-new venues. And, yeah. And I just think part of the U.S. Open is, just like Augusta National, the familiarity fans have with – Venues, mm-hmm. and I think when you get, I mean, because basically, what we try to do at Fox at Aaron Hills and and Chambers Bay is for the first two days, introduce the golf course to people. Well, because nobody knows anything about it, right. it's it's hard to say. You know, he's on six. Well, our cameraman and the ball would think or think the ball stopped, and all of a sudden we come back, and instead of Jordan Speed being just off the edge of green, he's fifty yards short of the green in a bunker. It's like what the hell happened, you know? But that's everybody's unfamiliarity with what, how the golf course plays. And I think you can look really stupid in circumstances like that. When even, even the people, you know, televising the event are still learning about the venue. Right.
0: And I think the U S open, the golf course is the star in a lot of ways. They're sure. brawling with the golf course, I guess the national obviously, but most, most, most tournaments it's about the players, but yeah. in the open, it's really about the course.
1: Well, and, and, and you know, wing foot and, 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 you know, I know you have Billy Payne, who's, you know, he's retired from, you know, Augusta National being the chairman now. But, you know, what other tournament always has, like, the president of USGA come in and talk about the setup of the golf course, like Mike Davis? Yeah. You know, and he he's, it, it's almost like every US Open, he's got to justify why they're setting a course I episode. I mean, no other events like that. But, yeah. you know, when you get the US Open, you're going to get it, which. Right. Whether you like it or not, I think it's it's u- the uniqueness of the US of the US Open, you know? They gotta justify why we're playing this golf course or why this setup is yeah, what why it is. they pushed it to the the very exactly.
0: edge. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation. I can't thank you enough for your time. We're rooting for you to to keep making more money so you can move <laughs> to California. <laughs> yeah. and Pay all that tax. Yeah. yeah. When, when you finally do lose to Griffin, we want to hear all about it. We'll, we'll bring you back just for a special you know, play-by-play on that. Sounds so, good, Alan. Right, I appreciate you yeah. having me. All right. Thanks, man. man. Okay, well, this has been uh, another lively podcast of The Knockdown. This is Alan Shipnuck. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back with plenty more pods in the near future. Uh, hopefully you'll tune in then. Bye-bye.